Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf reporting from the pumpkin patch at Carabin Farm in Southington, Connecticut. Halloween is just around the corner and on this perfect 65 degree sunny autumn day, my friend Michelle and I are here to pick out a pumpkin. And because I am a little overwhelmed with choice, I wanna see what other folks are going for in a gourd. Nearby, four-year-old Hazel is weaving through rows and rows of pumpkins with her parents, Sarah and Jason McDonald. How many pumpkins do you think are here? Sixty. Sixty. That's a good guess. That's yeah. a really good guess. That's not bad. Yeah, okay. Good so job, kiddo. which do you feel more drawn to? A Bert or an Ernie? A long or a short? A short. Oh, okay. Ooh. Is there one that you want right now, or are you still choosing? I want that one. Go show her. Show you, me. You found one already? Okay, go. Cool. This one. Oh, that one. Ooh. Now, some people can't see. So if I couldn't see this, how would you describe it? What does it look like? Um, a pumpkin. <laughs> what color is it? Orange. Oh. Okay, so do you know what you're going to carve into it for Halloween? What design? A happy face. Why a happy face? I don't know. <laughs> Are you typically happy? Yes. <laughs> what makes you happy? Pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Will one pumpkin do or do you need more than one pumpkin? One. Just one? Okay. One. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> that was four-year-old Hazel and her parents, Sarah and Jason McDonald. They spoke with me at Carabin Farms in Southington, Connecticut. We'll hear more from my time in the pumpkin patch in a little bit, because today we will praise the pumpkin and glorify gourds. Colin Nissen will join us in a little bit. He's the author of the perennially viral McSweeney's essay, It's Decorative Gourd Season, Mother Find out how he came up with the idea of writing those 462 words, 20 of which are extremely explicit about decorative gourds. And you'll hear why he thinks it's still so beloved 14 years after it was first published. And you've heard about underwater basket weaving, or not, but you're going to meet two champions of underwater pumpkin carving. You'll discover what this mother-daughter team chose as their award-winning design. And since pumpkins float, how hard was it to keep them 30 feet underwater while impaling them with knives? And hey, speaking of floating pumpkins... Dwayne Hansen of Syracuse, Nebraska, shares how he set the world record for traveling the longest distance in a pumpkin boat. His gorgeous pumpkin, Berta, doesn't mind telling you that she weighed 846 glorious pounds. And for nearly 12 hours, together they sailed 38 wobbly miles down the Missouri River. So, Dwayne, where in the world did you get the idea to do such a thing? I started growing pumpkins like 10 years or more ago. Got this bright idea. I probably saw it on my phone or something. And I'm like, mm, I'll do that. I can do that. Uh-uh. It's not that easy. 
Why isn't it that easy? These pumpkins, if you look at them wrong, they'll die. I'm not joking. It's tough. Toughest thing I've ever tried to grow in my life. And uh, about five years ago, I decided I'm going to go to a giant pumpkin growing seminar in Portland, Oregon. It cost me like three grand. So you really wanted it. But that's not very much money compared to what I've spent on this. And uh, there was a certificate thing there of this lady going down a river in a giant pumpkin for a Guinness record. And she had went 15 miles or something. And I told Allison, my wife was with me, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to beat that record. That was five years ago. The record was 25, 25 and a half miles. I went 37 and a half. I wanted 50, and it's probably a good thing I didn't try that. I don't think I could have made it. Okay. Now, when you grew this pumpkin successfully, this 846 freaking pound pumpkin... How did you know when the right time was to detach it from the vine? You measure them over the top, side to side, and you measure it around. I knew the pumpkin was big enough, so I cut it off and we weighed it. And it was within 10 pounds of what my measurement said it was going to be. Okay, so you release it from its shackles and you start to hollow this thing out. Will you talk about that process, please? I got a... I call it the CMAP on, but it's like a hot tub. And we put it in there so that you can see it float so you know where the top is. Smart. Because it's odd shaped. You don't know for sure where the top is. So you cut a hole in the top and then you kind of go from there. And then you as kind long of, as the hole can fit you. Yes, exactly. I actually probably cut the hole a little bit too big, but it worked. I mean, I had never did it before, so it was all trial and error. Did you hop into this pumpkin while it was in this hot tub? Oh, yeah. I sat in there like a half a day just testing things. Wait, wait, wait. When you first lowered your body into this vessel, what did that feel like? This is amazing. I thought, man, this is going to be so cool. Uh, really. I mean, I've been looking forward to this for five years. It's like almost a dream come true. Almost. Yes. So how much time in between when you carved it and you emptied it? By the way, what did you do with the guts? I live out in the country, just dump mountain grass. I kept the seeds. Yeah. You got to keep the seeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could be something you sell online later at a way jacked up price. I mean, this is connected to the Guinness World Record. Come on now. Well, just because it's a Guinness Book of World's Record pumpkin doesn't mean the seeds are worth a lot of money. Oh, well, I was thinking at least as a souvenir, right? I mean, well, yeah, it seems like a P.T. Barnum thing to do is what I'm saying. But I didn't advertise it or nothing. I, I'm not in it for the money. OK, so you put yourself in there, you tested it out, blah, blah, blah. you emptied the guts, you threw the guts out. How long in between carving this, sitting in it, getting comfortable in it and when it launched? Because it can't sit for too long, right? It was about one day. I cut it off the vine on the 26th, my birthday, oh. 60 years old, and we put it in the water on the 27th. How early in the morning did you begin this? It was seven, 7.30. How did you know what your day would be like? Were you sure that you... I didn't know anything. I did had no idea how this was going to work. What was the plan? There was a plan. I mean, I got a boat and my boy... 
Colton was in the boat and my wife and my sister from San Diego. And I honestly had no idea if I could actually do this because it's really, really tippy, like really tippy. And uh, you kind of get the feel of it. Did you find that you were using a lot of core strength to... Oh, you're balancing the whole time. And I got a kayak paddle, but this got on Facebook. And people were actually taking their boats out on the river looking for me and they'd find me and they'd, they'd leave wakes. And once those wakes come by, they're only three, three or four inches tall, but I'd have to stop and just hold the pumpkin and stay that until the wakes go by. It would uh, swamp me. Was there ever a time in your near 38 mile journey in this 846 pound pumpkin where you thought I... This is stupid. I don't know why I did this. No. Let's end it. No. I wasn't going to quit. I wouldn't quit for nothing. I'm not a quitter. No. I didn't even consider it. As long as that pumpkin is upright, I'm going. Yes. So how did it end? Um, We pulled up to the docks in Nebraska City. So you could have stayed on longer. Yeah, but it was almost dark. (laughs) What's the problem with that? You do not want to be on the Missouri River in the dark in a pumpkin. Honestly, God, you do not want to do that. Are we talking Crocs or something? No, it would just be really dangerous. Dangerous. Oh, yeah. Like you'd get lost at sea and no one would see you or uh, mosquitoes would. Well, first of all, I don't have lights on my boat and you can't see nothing coming in the river because it's dark. I don't know if you know what the Missouri River is like. No, I am Connecticut through and through. It's a big river. There's logs, sandbars, there's buoys out there. Oh, no, you don't want to be on the river at night. Okay. I want to hear about when the sun went down and you pulled ashore in your pumpkin and you realized I did it. I broke the Guinness World Record. What was that like? That was when I'm not a big people person, you know. And I'd spent 11 and a half hours on the river and I come around the corner and I, I can see the boat dock and there's like a hundred or 150 people standing there. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like how do these people fight this out? You had so much solitude, more or less. I know. On the river. The one thing I remember the most, Colton and my wife and the people in the boat, they were, I could see them all the time, you know? And Colton asked me, he goes, Dad, you want me to go down the river and see how far the marina is? I knew we were close within a mile or two. And I'm like, yeah, go find out. I'm done with this. I want to know how far I got to go. And uh, he goes down the river and he goes around the corner. I can't see him no more. And that's the only time I was all alone with Berta. And I Berta. kind of put Berta, I pat Berta on the side. Well, Berta, I'm talking out loud. Berta. I says, just me and you, Berta, now. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was like your Wilson, but you were inside her. I babied her every day. I'm going to go out and spray insecticide yet on my pumpkins tonight. So what happened to Berta after all was said and done? I got her out of the river, put her back on the trailer that we hauled her out there with, and she sat in the front yard here for almost a week and it kind of started melting away so I had to put her in the compost pile kind of a sad day (laughs) back to the earth 
ครับ All right, so check this out. We were putting the finishing touches on the show when we were caught completely off guard. A man named Steve Quaney from Lebanon, Missouri, apparently squashed Dwayne's record just this Monday in his 1,200-pound pumpkin named Huckleberry. Now it hasn't been confirmed by Guinness yet, but it looks like Dwayne definitely has his competition carved out for him. So we reconnected, and I asked him when he found out the big news. Oh God! Right away, I can't tell you how many phone calls I've gotten, texts, and everything. I'm like, oh my God! What have people been saying? Oh, somebody beat you, blah blah. Oh, you're gonna do this again, blah 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 blah. I mean, it's just nonstop. Everything. How does it feel? Oh, I don't care. I'll just do it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not a quitter. No, I know you're not a quitter. He beat me by less than a mile. So. Oh, yeah. He went uh, 38.4, and I was 37 and a half. So I don't know how he managed to just squeak out one extra mile. Did you see any footage of him? Um, Just a little bit. How did it? It's, fun, it's funny because when I saw... Now, I am super fond of you because we had a wonderful conversation when we first recorded. And then I edited you and I got to hear your voice a thousand more times. So I'm just... I'm a, such a big <laughs> Dwayne fan. And so I got to say, when I saw the video of this guy, Steve, and his pumpkin, which was named Huckleberry, I felt a little bit like I was seeing my ex with a new person, frankly. <laughs> yeah. No, it didn't really bother me. You know what? I can't figure out because... There's several things because I had that pumpkin in my cement pond. It's like a hot tub kind of thing. Yeah. And I tried to be on my knees in there for like a half hour, an hour, and it just was not going to work. It, it you just couldn't do that for eleven or twelve hours, and I think that's what he did. I don't know how he could have did it. Okay, so let's say this guy fills out his Guinness paperwork and all the measurements are in and the proof and stuff, and he definitely beats you. What do you want to say to him? Congratulations, because look out, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm not a quitter. Don't ever say you can't do it. I said can't, never did nothing. <laughs> so does that mean that for the rest of your life, you're going to be chasing and defending this one title? Till I get too old. Well, what I really, really want to do is go down the river in a pumpkin big enough for me and Morgan. Your daughter, yeah. That's what I really want to do. Here's what I wonder about. In the short amount of time that I've gotten to know you, one thing I know for sure is that you're competitive, not only with other people, oh, God, but yeah. with yourself. And I think that's cool. So I wonder if there's a part of you that is lit up by this challenge of having been beat. Yeah. Well, I even said last year, I'm like, you know, if somebody beats me, I'll bow down to them because they're tough. They're tough. It takes a lot to do that. They got to want it. You just don't do that just because it's, it's, I don't, I can't even explain it. I don't know, but I like competition. I, I think it's kind of a good thing. It gives me a goal to beat this guy. I'll go like 50 miles. 
Well, Dwayne Hansen, I really look forward to interviewing you again and again and again until there are no more interviews because you've either retired because your knees can't take it anymore or you've dominated this so much that no one stands a chance. Bring it on. I'll, I won't quit until I'm too old. So. <laughs> oh, Dwayne. <laughs> or die. Or die. <laughs> Or die. <laughs> you know. Oh, Dwayne Hansen, here's to a long life. Thank you so much for talking with me in this delicate, sensitive time. Well, hey, thanks for calling. I, I don't mind talking to you a bit. All right, now let's get back to the pumpkin patch at Carabin Farms in Southington, Connecticut. My dear friend Michelle Horsley and I were scoping out the perfect pumpkin for my front porch, and she joined me in pondering. It's easy to personify pumpkins. You know, we see their different shapes and sizes, and you can kind of imagine faces on them. Like, you know the personality of that pumpkin. You definitely know the personality of that pumpkin next to it. Yeah, like there are happy pumpkins, and there are mischievous pumpkins. Yeah, pumpkins are such cartoons of themselves. Aren't we all? Yeah. When you look for a pumpkin, is there one that feels like home? Mm. Personally, I really like the round pumpkins. Like the short, like Ernie, yeah. Ernie versus Bert. I would take Ernie. Yeah, same. Yeah. All right, I'm going to pick out a pumpkin. Okay. Okay. Michelle, look at this big one. <gasps> Yeah, that's definitely round. Need a hand with that? Let me see. Let me just see. I just want to look at all of them. A lot of tall ones. I think the tall ones would be easier to carve faces in. You make me think. Yeah. I got to say, I'm also a squat, an Ernie, historically. Mm -hmm. But now that I see all the, I feel like there are more Burt's by far Mm -hmm. than Ernie's here. And what you just said made me think maybe I should try being a Burt this year. There's a lot of good looking birds. There's a lot of good looking birds. Look how good this face is. You could carve a great face on that pumpkin. Yeah, you're right. This is a great pumpkin. All right, we have a pumpkin. She's got it. It's Thank a good you. looking pumpkin. Thanks for your support. Always. Rolling down a river on a pumpkin, pumpkin. You can see a photo Michelle took of me and my beautiful 27-pound pumpkin at ctpublic.org slash audacious. Later in the show, meet the author of the super popular McSweeney's essay, It's Decorative Gourd Season, Mother and find out how the author knew that this was really his masterpiece. This is the stupidest thing, but Roger Ebert tweeted it. And I was like, Roger Ebert? Like, what? (laughs) Plus... Let's give them pumpkin to talk about with the winners of an underwater pumpkin carving competition. Our 15 minutes of fame went on for weeks of just everybody covering it. Let's give them 15 more. I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Rolling, rolling, rolling on a pumpkin in a river town. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Health Care. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Health Care. 
ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf. Today we're talking about pumpkins and decorative gourds, which is why in a little bit you'll meet the author of the perennially viral McSweeney's essay, It's Decorative Gourd Season, Mother But first, how do underwater pumpkin carvers think the public thinks about them? That we're nuts. That's weird. (laughs) Yeah. That was mother and daughter Josephine Walker and Stephanie McClary from Detroit. Back in October of 2019, they won the Underwater Pumpkin Carving Contest at the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. And I have so many questions. Like, why? So my daughter and I are very good at finding things that most people, not all people, but most people don't do. So we could say we did it. Like what else? We, we looked into underwater basket weaving and that's how we found the underwater pumpkin carving. So we were looking up things to do and we, for a month, trying to figure out why these people are basket weaving underwater. And we're like, we, we got to do it. Well, after a month, we figured it out. It's because scuba divers, it's just a way to practice your buoyancy in the water. So then after we were certified, we seen pumpkin carving underwater. And that's right. Our, that's our forte right there. We're like, OK, we have to. And we've done, I don't know, five or six. Seven, I think. OK, so this one that you dominated uh, was in the Florida Keys. And you're from Detroit? Yep. Mm -hmm. So you flew to Florida to compete? We did. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what were the rules? What did they provide? Did they provide the pumpkin? Like how long? What? Tell me everything you remember in terms of like how all this functions. This particular one, they provided the pumpkin. Um, It was already carved out, wasn't it? Yeah. And they said we could use props if we needed to. That was about it. So you go in, your name's on a list, and we have a number next to us. So we don't get to pick our pumpkin. So we had to go find the pumpkin that had our number on it. This is why you're on land. Right. Yeah. And this one also had a theme. Some are themed. Some have multiple themes or categories. And, you know, I thought it was odd because not everybody followed the theme, but we had never gone there before. And the theme was Amore. No, it was Amore Eels. It was Amore Eels. And the place that we were diving at was called Amore. And so we wrecked our head forever trying to figure out what we were going to do. We had no idea. We didn't have any tools or anything. We went to dollar stores and at Kroger's and all the stores down there just to get tools and find ideas because we didn't have anything because we flew down there. So tell me about the design that you ultimately landed on that won this whole thing. 
while we were walking around craft stores and Kroger's and whatever grocery store or store we could find to find some tools, hoping it would spark our brains, we decided, you know, it's it's an eel. What are we going to do? Well, we didn't want to really carve one out of it. And then it's a moray, so that's love. So we were like trying to incorporate it. And I was like, well, what if we just leave, cut most of the pumpkin out? So it was a heart shape and the base. And that was it. And then we hollowed out that heart. So it was just like a outline of the heart. And so then we cut that back part that we had completely removed from the pumpkin. And we didn't have a plan, of course, because we never do. And so we're just passing things back and forth. And with the, when we cut the extra pieces apart, after we got the heart done, we both just started working on our extra piece and turned that into a, a more a eel. We just kind of wrapped it around this hollow heart. And, um, you know, my daughter, the creative one, and that always has to go over the edge, wanted it to light up. <laughs> string light <laughs> okay hold on hold on hold on how are you lighting this up underwater we went to the craft store and we found like the battery operated mini string lights you would use in like a a shadow box or something for crafting and then she tried to i don't know if it's appropriate macgyver it super glue and I don't even know what she used to take. And <laughs> I don't think it worked well, either. <laughs> it, it did. It worked underwater, but by the time we hit the surface, it no longer worked. And also while we were down there, the eels stood like offset a little bit around the heart. Once we hit gravity, <laughs> they kind of fell a little bit and then the lights went out. Now, I don't know much about pumpkins. I really don't, but I know that pumpkins float. Yes. How did you grapple with keeping this thing from, you were like 30 feet underwater. How did you stop it from bouncing up to the top? We had weights in them. And then the pieces we had to put in a uh, mesh bag that we had with us. We put our tools in the mesh bag and then we put the pumpkins in the, you know, the pieces that we weren't working on. And the base was weighted with, I don't know how many pounds that we use too many too many pounds <laughs> it works because we cut most of it off yeah <laughs> so um I, that is the hard part is it, it does float <laughs> now you can't use words when you're down there because you're underwater and so i wonder how you communicated what to do was it like mother daughter telepathy like what how did you communicate down there it must have been because we just yeah both started doing it and when we were doing the base and the heart, we would just pass it back and forth. And as we'd see what the other one was doing or trying to accomplish, once one of us were like, I don't know where to go from here, we just pass it back and they would finish it. And for some, it must have been a mother-daughter thing. Right. Because <laughs> we didn't say a word. We didn't really have to like point. We didn't argue just passing it back and forth. It was like we had it planned and we had no plan. <laughs> the plan was there's no plan. <laughs> All right. When I carve a pumpkin... And I cut myself, no big deal, get a Band-Aid or whatever, go to the hospital if I do a really good job of it. But when you're underwater, if you cut yourself, that can't be good. I mean, not only for, for the the sharks or other animals that might be drawn to it, but like that can't be hygienic for people who are in the water with you. Was there any concern about cutting yourself underwater? No, I don't think so. I mean, I almost stabbed myself once with one of the little skewers we had, but... No, I don't know. I feel like the ocean's clean 
self-cleansing. I don't, I mean, some of the ones we've done were almost in swamps and this was the clear ocean where we could see 80 feet and, you know, the fish were coming up, chewing on our little scraps. We took our big scraps out. We got extra points for that. We didn't, we left as little behind as we could because it's not natural, but. So tell me about the judging. Do you know who the judges were? Uh, Do you know what they were looking for? Were they grading on, you know, creativity or how much pumpkin you carved out? Tell me what you know about what the judges were looking for. You'll go up, you'll put your number, your pumpkin on a number. So nobody knows who did it unless they seen you bring it up. And then everybody votes for like their top three or whatever. Like there's the people who are there to witness this. I mean, everybody was pointing and we were just like, yeah, well, we did our best. And Mm -hmm. We didn't they were think because they were loving it. So when they said this pumpkin of yours is the winner, what did that feel like? What did you think? It was awesome. We got a free dive trip. Yeah, I know. Wait, tell me about what you won. It was a free dive trip to Amore, the place we were at. Hmm. So did you ever find out what happened to all the pumpkins? No, we flew home. You just left them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's your pumpkin. We got to go. So after this enormous achievement in 2019, you wrap it up, you get on a plane back to Detroit. And then uh, from the looks of our research, your phones blew up because you were covered on WXYZ TV Channel 7 in Detroit. Two Detroiters just won a unique pumpkin carving contest. Josephine Walker and Stephanie McCleary were just two of dozens of artists to go scuba diving during a contest off the coast of Key Largo. They had to transform their pumpkins into sea creatures while 30 feet underwater. Look at that. I couldn't do that on dry land, let alone underwater. underwater. It was a way to go. Fox 12 in Tampa Bay, CBS Miami, NPR's Morning Edition and now you're on Audacious. Talk to me about what that felt like for the media to descend upon you like this. Our 15 minutes of fame went on for weeks of just everybody covering it. Australia, I mean, yeah. You know, her cousin sent a, I don't know how she caught it. She was driving and she recorded her radio. But um, I need to find out who that was on the radio because she was like, that's weird. Was it on NPR? I don't think so. Okay. They kept saying Detroit's own Stephanie McCleary and Josephine Walker. And then, you know, there was two. There was a male and a female DJs on there. And she was like, yeah, that that's really weird. But that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's not public radio. We would never speak like that. <laughs> it's We're okay. It really like offend that. me. It takes a lot more than that. But But here's the thing. You've done a bunch of these competitions. You won this one. Cool. But... How did it feel getting all of this media attention for this? I mean, you agree this is kind of absurd, right? For this absurd thing. It is, but it looks like tradition. Yeah. So we didn't know. They had reporters down there taking pictures and on the boat with us. So they put it in their their news thing every year. And then we had, what was it, Woodworking America or Wood Carving or something just contact us and, you know, I had uh, my friends from work that actually recorded the television shows and sent it and was like, can I have your autograph? <laughs> just being goofs. But, yeah, we couldn't believe it. Then Steph started just Googling it and just the things that were popping up. It was just nonstop. It was it was pretty funny. 
Well, Josephine Walker and Stephanie McClary, thank you very much for talking with me and congratulations on your enormous achievements. Thank you for having us. It was um, it was a great memory. So it's nice to make us remember it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. After the break, we'll pumpkin spice things up with Colin Nissen. He's the man behind the essay that breaks the internet every autumn called It's Decorative Gourd Season, Mother After 14 years of virality, how does he feel about decorative gourds when he happens to pass them on display somewhere? I do feel a kinship to them, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> out in the wild. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's amore. Amore, that's amore. This is a content warning for children and people who do not like bleeps. This segment contains so many bleeps. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Okay, this final conversation is about the pumpkin's non-edible brethren, decorative gourds. Okay, well, it's it's not so much about decorative gourds. It's more about decorative gourd season, autumn. Well, I mean, it's actually really not so much about fall, but it's it's more about how we love to love that feeling that autumn brings. Picture this. It's the late aughts. And Colin Nissen has spent years earning a living as an advertising copywriter and creative director. He is longing to write something other than ads. So he starts submitting pieces to the online humor magazine McSweeney's. 2009 rolls around and he conjures up an essay narrated by a person who is profanely intoxicated with the idea of decorative gourds and the glorious season that they herald. He sends it off to McSweeney's editor, Chris Monks, and it takes off. And it continues to resurface in the zeitgeist every year around this time. Now, you'll hear in a little bit why Colin has never done a public reading of its decorative gourd season, mother but he did give me his blessing to do it. And I transferred that blessing onto audacious producer Jessica Severin D. Martinez because, well, her voice. I don't know about you but I can't wait to get my hands on some gourds and arrange them in a horn-shaped basket on my dining room table. That is going to look so seasonal. I'm about to head up to the attic right now to find that wicker, dust it off and jam it with an insanely ornate assortment of shellac vegetables. When my guests come over, it's going to be like, blammo, check out my shellac decorative vegetables. Guess what season it is? Fall. There's a nip in the air, and my house is full of mutant squash. The essay continues, and I wish I could keep listening to her read it, but let's back this squash train up. Where was Colin when the idea for this piece first hit him like a ton of decorative gourds? We were in the Berkshires, just we had an Airbnb, and it was fall. So it was just like, a, you know, right, right before fall, fall was coming. So it was like... Uh, yeah, it was just this kind of idyllic sort of setting. Why gourds? Was there a gourd on the table in the Berkshires? Was there any other item that you were considering including in this with the same sort of heart behind it about it being autumn? 
it's hard to, it's really, yeah, it's hard to, to remember exactly what, what my mindset was. I just genuinely do love fall. Anything around the season, all of it, I just was just into. And I just, it was, uh, I could look back and see if it, it's possible that it was, it's, it's pumpkin season, mother. I wonder if I had that as a title at some point, but I don't know. I think if I did, it would be, I think I, the thought process would have been, let me just think of the stupidest, smallest, goofiest thing that could play against like the harsh language and be, be funniest. When you started including all the swears, how did you know how many swears were the right amount of swears and which swears? How did you feel that out? Yeah, it's a funny thing. I don't know. The swears, there's so many cases where swears don't work. And it, and I found myself after writing this piece and having the success of this piece being like, oh, so what, maybe I just need to swear more. You know, maybe, you, know you get confused as a writer. You're like, how do I replicate this lightning in a bottle kind of moment? And it's not that. It's not the swears. But there's so many cases where swears just don't work and they just seem cheap and they seem easy and they seem uh, like a cop out, you know, and it, for some reason in this piece, and I'll never fully, I'll just left like theorizing as to why in this case it was not only acceptable, but worked and was funny, you know, like, and I, and I think my, my best guess at it is that this, the character in this piece was just so, he wasn't angry necessarily. He was just excited, you know? And I think that because of it was just based on his excitement, it, you almost give him a pass and like the swears just somehow magically feel okay and build in a way that it was, um, yeah. And I was just, it was, it's hard, it's hard to know. There were a lot of things to love about this piece, but to your point, there's maybe inside all of us this person who wants to be so 100% all in on something. And when you are 100% all in on something, man, that feels great. That's right. I think that's it. I think that is true. It's it's like, yeah. And then, and then in terms of like how many, because you would ask how, you know, when do you know when to stop or am I overdoing it? It really gets to a point where it's almost like gibberish at a certain point. And it's like almost a poetic gibberish to it where you just feel like you just more, the more, the merrier. That was kind of like the, the feeling is like, let's just now try to, if the reader is still on board and buying into this after the first paragraph, then let's just keep it going. And then now just think of maybe more creative ways to work swears into it. It, it became kind of like the theme, you know? When this hits the series of tubes that is the internet, how long did it take to become what we all know it is now in terms of how it was received? Yeah, it's a good, it was a really surreal thing. Like it was one of those, I'd never experienced anything like it. I mean, it just started to, and I wasn't a huge Twitter person, but I was on there and I would just always check out to see, you know, how many hits it got and this one just started to get it was just fast like there was just like a, the numbers were different I was like this is weird and then and Chris reached out I said just so you know there's something weird is happening here like this is getting a crap load of of hits and then I remember the moment when it all felt like different it was an innocent like this is the stupidest thing but Roger Ebert tweeted it and I was like Roger Ebert like <laughs> 
what? <laughs> like, what is happening right None now? None of us That's... anticipate that like a, a a seminal moment in our lives would be at the hand of Roger Ebert for most of us. Exactly, exactly. I know, but it was. This one was. And I was like, all right, this is uh, something's happening here. So that was, and then just from there, just just went bananas. Another thing that has been maybe an, an unexpected result of the popularity of this piece is the appropriation of it. So uh, The Atlantic wrote a great article uh, from an interview with you, and they had found a few tweets of the, you know, it's blank season, mother like it's Scorpio season, mother or it's rub Carmex on your nostril season, mother it's transitional jacket season, mother. How does that feel? <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't think that's so funny. I don't. I never. Th- I, I don't even know what came first anymore. It's all like a. I definitely never felt like I owned the the phrase. And in fact, people have like stuff on Etsy, and they make all these like. There's things like that, like swag, and I just find it very flattering. And people are like, oh, you should lock it down and do a cease and desist. I'm like, why would I do? It's just that's. I think it's like. I don't know. I take it as a compliment. It's nice. It's blank season. Mother is for everybody. Yes, exactly. For the people. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first questions I thought of when you said yes to this interview was, how does it feel having this one piece be so huge? You called it lightning in a bottle earlier. And as someone who is a creative person and who wants to keep doing great work, do you feel worried that this is the only thing you'll ever do that people will ever remember you for, basically? It really messed with my head when it first happened because I was like, uh-oh, like, what the hell am I going to, like, how is this? Because that feeling was, it was euphoric, you know, just to have that. And also just really hard to understand. It's not, you know, you... I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what did I do here? Like, did I, did, it was just, just, but it's, there's just, it's just a circumstance. It's like a moment in time and it just hit and struck people in that place where, and it, I don't know, just a, a moment in time in the world and a moment in time of a season. And it just like, I have no way to, to put my finger on it. So, yeah. So I, I think it was tricky Thankfully, I did have like a couple of pieces I wrote for the New Yorker afterwards because it. Yeah, I think it was I went like a while where I was like just went back to that kind of like oh it's just a regular piece and oh like somebody said they liked it and that was nice and, you know but I, you know you just you kind of get weird you're like but where's the where's Roger Ebert you know like you get, but this uh, so I had a couple pieces for the New Yorker that I wrote that took off too so and maybe not to the point of this but they took off and it made me feel it calmed me down again i was like okay like i can do i can do this again maybe not to the point of mania but i can do it enough so i feel like i'm you know still progressing as a writer in a related way i wonder how you feel when you ponder that when you die your obituary will probably start with this (laughs) That is amazing. I never thought of that. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's right. It might be on there. What's your gut reaction? Is it net positive or something else? I'll take it. I'll take it. I, yeah. Why the hell not? If something that brought people some happiness on my epitaph, I'll take it. Maybe there'll be like, it's time for Colin to die season, mother. <laughs> Listen, just 
first draft. Yeah, <laughs> we'll workshop it, but you're close. I feel like you're close. When you go to parties and people are meeting you for the first time, do you ever whip this out as, hey, fun fact about me? Um, you know that decorative gourd season mother? And they go, oh my God, I love that piece. And you go, that was me. That was mine. Do you ever do that? So funny. I've had friends do it for me, <laughs> which is funny. I do but- it too. My friends do it too. They're like, do you listen to public radio? This is Kion Wolf. And I'm like, no, please don't. Please, no, don't do this. You don't need to do this. But they do it. Yeah. But it's kind of fun to get a little, but it's not fun when they do it and they don't know it. You know, or they don't write. I mean, when they don't know Connecticut <laughs> Public Radio, or they don't know right? the gourd, the gourd piece, <laughs> like no, no, I don't know what is Why that. Why are you swearing at me? Exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh, great, it's fine. It's exactly. fine. No, it's good. I'm just gonna go get some punch. Yeah, no, I know. They just it's ha- that's happened many times where they're just like, no, no, I don't know. It sounds cool though, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad that you said yes to this interview, but there was part of me that was thinking. You were going to be too big for this interview. Like, this public radio wants to talk to me. Also, it's been a long time. It's something you probably talk about all the time. And maybe you're sick of talking about it. Is there any part of you that's like, can you please ask me to talk about freaking anything else? No, no, because it is. I'm telling you, it's like such a trip to me that it's still every year that you know, we're further away from when I wrote it. I just, fall rolls around. And I'm like, okay, this year it'll be gone. Like nobody's going to care. And it just keeps coming back. So I just, it's more as like a sociological like experiment. I'm just, it's fascinating to me. I love that. I mean, the fact that it just keeps coming back up. So yeah, to talk about this every time fall comes around is like a, a hoot. I think it's great. One of the ideas that our producer, Khalil Rahman, uh, came up with when connecting with you was having you do a reading of it. And you said, I don't do that stuff anymore. Why not? Yeah, I don't do that ever. Like, ever. I, I actually, Not even I, once. Well, I love doing readings. I do, I do lots of readings, but I've never read this piece out loud ever. Except maybe when like I was writing it. I probably, because I always do that. But I think maybe that's when I realized I don't ever want to read this out loud. Probably when I was writing it. Because it's just, it's funny. It's one of those things where... I'm just convinced that it's better in your head as you read it. And it's just like, I think maybe partly because of the swearing, I think it would just be get, it would get too much. And I've seen not a lot, but a handful of people on YouTube or whatever doing readings. And it's never, it's, I don't know, to me, it just never seems funny out loud. The only time actually there was a, there was one, there was one on YouTube that really made me laugh. And it was like a multi-generational family at Thanksgiving and they were around the table and there was like two brothers, you know, adult brothers, so like grandparents there and all this stuff. And the, one of the brothers had it printed out. He goes, hey, he's like, read, read this for everybody. And the brother's like, well, what is it? He said, just read it, read it out loud. <laughs> and the brother had no idea what, what it was and just started reading it. And it was just, I don't know, for some reason it was so, I think because it wasn't like rehearsed or acted out. It was, it just was, I thought it was just very funny so that that's the thing it's when you don't know it and when it's then it seems funnier to me and i think you're right there is sort of a there's a magic in hearing these words in your own head especially if that's not really how you talk unless you're extremely excited and prone to swearing like me and it's still exhilarating (laughs) i think you should read it then (laughs) (laughs) with your blessing i will okay great thank you 
When you are out and about and you see a decorative gourd wherever, how does it feel? I do feel a kinship to them for sure. Yeah, I love out in the wild. Yeah, I do. I do feel like I have this like little private, I, I get just like a little private relationship with them. You know, I give them a little nod as I walk by at the at the farm stand. Maybe when you die, people will put decorative gourds at your headstone. Would you like that? I would be nice. I, we had a funny moment, Chris Monks and I, as part of one of their like fundraising things, we did signed gourds. So I, can't, I went to his house and and. Uh, Massachusetts, and we sat at his dining room table, and there was a mountain of gourds, and we just had sharpies <laughs> just signing. It was so funny. Is there one particular gourd that calls to you? Like, do you like the the fat, wide ones? Do you like the kind of the multicolored ones with stripes on it? Which ones like make your heart skip a beat? I, the ones that make me smile are the uh, the gooseneck ones. You know, you know, what I'm talking ridiculous. about. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they're pretty stupid. They're very stupid. I love those. Stupid and elegant. Yeah. <laughs> Long-necked. Oh, elegant. <laughs> Colin Nissen, thank you so much for all that you do for the world and for talking with me. My gosh, Kion, thank you so much. It was a treat. We'll have a link to Colin's essay, photos of Dwayne in his pumpkin birda, and you can see what underwater pumpkin carving looks like at ctpublic.org slash audacious. This show is so lovingly produced by Khalil Rahman, Jessica Severindi Martinez, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, with help from our courageous interns, Letitia Peters and Joey Morgan. If you like this episode, then you're probably going to love the one we did recently about weird sports, like extreme ironing and shin kicking. And there was another one we did a while ago featuring people who have uncommon collections, like miniature chairs and bricks and barf bags truly this is a magical world and all of our episodes are here to prove it so please subscribe and rate us with your whole heart wherever you get your podcasts stay in touch with me on facebook instagram and tiktok at kyone wolf and you can always send me an email to audacious at ctpublic.org thanks for listening Pick a sword, it's a decorative gourds, decorative gourds, cause it's decorative gourd, season motherfucker. Oh, I may even throw some multicolored leaves into the mix all haphazard like a Christmas October.